On February 24th, Russian forces invaded Ukraine. For weeks, the United States and the West had warned of an impending military offensive. Russian President Vladimir Putin called it a special operation to denazify and demilitarize Ukraine. But while the East and West narratives clash, the death toll and destruction keeps on rising. The front line in this war is not only military, it's also financial and political for both sides of the conflict. Some European countries like Germany, highly reliant on Russian gas and oil, have refused to accept a complete energy embargo on Russia. Other EU member states like Poland, fearing a possible aggression on its soil, want Europe to be less reliant on Russian energy resources. Poland has taken in more Ukrainian refugees than any other EU nation. And it's been a crucial transit point for NATO weapons heading to Ukraine. But what's Warsaw's plan to prevent a possible escalation of the conflict? And how can Europe be entirely free of its dependence on Russian oil and gas? We'll put those questions to Poland's Deputy Foreign Minister as we caught up with him at the Doha Forum 2022. World leaders and policymakers came together to discuss geopolitical alliances, economic development, security and ways the world can transform for a new era. Pavel Jablonski talks to Al Jazeera. Paweł Jablonski, the Deputy Foreign Minister of Poland, thank you so much for talking to Al Jazeera. Hello, thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Let's start with the war in Ukraine. Has it made the possibility of conflict between Poland and by extension of course NATO and between Russia more likely now? This reality is w what we are living with for many years and we know very well in Poland and other countries in Central Europe that this has always been very, very real. Russia is a country of a very na aggressive nature. Russia governed by Vladimir Putin has been doing a lot of aggressive things. For the last two decades, since he took over in 1999, he immediately attacked Chechnya. He inflicted war on civilian populations there. He went on murdering his political opponents in Russia. He attacked Georgia in 2008. He attacked Ukraine in 2014. He occupies Crimea and saw East Ukraine. But, to but this do you day. feel that Poland is now being targeted more? than in the past? Certainly we are, because Putin How? is only not attacking other countries because today he doesn't have adequate resources. He certainly would be willing to attack if he knew that he can win, that he can execute this attack and succeed. But how but are you being increasingly targeted, do you feel, by Russia these days? Oh, just over the course of recent days we've been hearing open calls for, for example, this absurd narrative of denazification. Now, this is what Putin was using to justify his attack Ukraine, that allegedly there are some, some Nazis ruling this country, even though the president of Ukraine is Jewish. And now uh, members of Russian parliament are saying that there are another six countries requiring denazification, including Poland. So there is this narrative going on. But we are quite certain now that because of Ukraine is doing, today, Russia is not capable of attacking other countries. But if we allow Putin to win this war, they will rebuild, they will regroup, they will resupply, and they will be attacking more countries, they will be starting more wars. Do you agree then with what's been reported uh, and attributed to the Ukrainian ambassador to Poland, Andrei Jeschetsia, who was quoted as saying, Russia is preparing to attack Poland. Do you think Vladimir 
Putin is preparing to attack Poland? Russia is certainly threatening with uh, various attacks to uh, deter West, to deter European Union, NATO from decisive response. And this was uh, the main goal of Russian narrative, that if NATO does something, does one thing, or does not meet some Russian demand, Putin will consider this an act of war. Do you think it's uh, serious, though? Do you take that as a serious I possibility of, of Russia attacking Poland? I think there is serious possibility, and there's, not, there's much more than serious possibility. There's absolute certainty that Putin would like to do it. And at the same time, we are also quite certain that he will not do it now, because he's too much occupied with what's happening in Ukraine. He's losing this war. He cannot uh, overcome brave Ukrainian defense, but he's still much bigger and has much more resources. So he still can overcome that. The main task for us now is to stop him. This is the opportunity. This is the time to act. The Pol Polish Foreign Ministry spokesman, Lukasz Jasiena, he said that 45 Russian diplomats expelled from Poland, as I'm sure you know, they were engaging in activities that were threatening Ukrainian refugees in Poland. What sort of threatening activities is he referring to? They were acting as, uh, as spies or doing other illegal things. Now, but I'm sure you know, if I can present to you the Russian narrative, the Russian ambassador Poland said, that's nonsense. They were just carrying out their usual diplomatic activities. What do you know that they were engaging in that was threatening? We are not at liberty to disclose every information because that some of them and most of them are actually classified. You, you can't give me threat. examples of what? There are attempts, for example, to uh, either actions in, um, the, in, in hybrid uh, in terms, for example, in disinformation, in creating tensions, false narratives, to uh, create tensions between Ukrainian people and Polish people, to uh, create this form of uh, well, maybe not uh, entire entire conflict between between Polish nation and Ukrainian nation, but try, trying to diminish the support, the will of support on the side of Polish people, the support for Ukraine, which has been enormous. But Russia is obviously willing to diminish it because it sees that Poland is strongly supporting Ukraine, and the weaker the support would be, Russia would have an easier chance to win. The Russian narrative is very different, of course, as you know. They would argue that actually they have been on the defensive since the 1990s, that it's NATO that is expanding into what was formerly their sphere of influence. How do you respond to that? If Russia is saying that they are in defense, I can't remember any situation where Russia was attacked. It was Russia that has been attacking other countries. Putin is, from, is, is um, repeating this false narrative of Russia being encircled by NATO. Russia only, uh, if I remember correctly, 6% of Russia land borders uh, is a border with NATO countries. So it's entirely false narrative. He repeats this because he knows that not everybody in, in, in the global information sphere uh, follows the facts, but this is entirely false. Is there any chance, do you think, that NATO will adopt Poland's suggestion to send armed peacekeepers to Ukraine? Any chance of that, do you see? I believe that this need is uh, higher than ever. We see humanitarian catastrophe in Ukraine, and uh, our first and foremost, what we should be doing, our, our, our main goal, is to prevent these hostilities from hurting civilians. Well, population. you see that, but do you think, we, my question is, do you think NATO no, might... Uh, please allow me to allow me to, 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 to finish because I think the, the the debate of this has been shaped in a little uh, may, maybe not unintended but but the wrong way. 
it is obvious that in international organizations such as NATO, such as European Union, there are various perspectives, there are differences of opinion, there are some proposals that are not accepted immediately by other countries. That's all understood, but again, do you see any chance NATO might approve that and go for it? Let me give you an example of another international organization that also was reluctant to do some things, but then it changed its mind, the European Union. When the war broke out on 24th February, there was an emergency meeting of European Council, and immediately, this was also convened on the notion of Poland and, and Central European countries, immediately we started about, so to talk about what sanctions should, be, should we impose. On this very day, there were several ideas, for example, excluding Russian banks from the SWIFT system, closing airspace over European Union for Russian aircrafts. And on February 24th, this was not agreed. European Union did not want to do this. On the next day, in the morning, Poland closed its airspace, and we started to convince some other European countries to do it. Over the course of the ne next 48 hours, the whole EU closed its airspace. The same for SWIFT system. Initially, there was no agreement. A couple of days later, we managed, together with other our allies, other our allies, to convince the rest. This is how we need to act also in terms of other ideas like this. This is very dynamic. We need to be flexible, we need to be agile, we need to be consistent. And Poland is quite consistent in calling our allies to be more decisive. We will continue to do it. And, and you think then, it sounds like you're saying yes, you think there's a chance, Nathan? There might. is a chance. If we remain persistent, there is a chance. And we hope that there will be more understanding how much necessary it is. If we talk about the the recent deal between the US and the EU for the US to provide, I think, about 15 billion cubic meters of uh, gas, extra supplies of gas to Europe. Well, despite that, we're looking at a timetable of the end of the decade before Europe can be weaned off of Russian gas, because they supply something like 155 billion cubic meters. Do you think that timetable can be sped up? Do you think, in other words, Europe can move off of Russian gas quicker than that? I think it can be done much quicker. Even Germany, the country that's been among the most reluctant ones because of the size of the dependency, German minister Habeck said that Germany will phase out Russian gas until the end of 2024, so it's much faster than the end of the decade. And I think it can be done even quicker especially if we increase our partnership, not just with the US, but also with countries in the Gulf. Cooperation with the state of Qatar between Poland and other European countries is a great foundation for such a cooperation. We should be increasing that. Obviously, the capacity is limited and there will be obstacles, there will be troubles, but these troubles result from war, they don't result from sanctions. The sooner we are able to end this war, the sooner we are able to stop Russian hostilities, not just in Ukraine now, but also for the future, we will be able to recover also economically. How soon do you think, when you speak with your European counterparts, what is the timetable in your mind? When do you think that Europe can be off of Russian gas? I think this can be done by the end of this year, because end of this year, the end That's of this, very year, this, optimistic, this is isn't actually it, possible because we are an economy that is very flexible, very agile. We are able to adjust. There can be cost to, to economies, but if we are able to do it, if we are able to cut Russia off money, and actually gas is not even that important. Much more important thing is oil, 
both crude oil and petroleum products. This is three times as important as, well, as how gas. How soon do you think Europe can and be off of Russian oil? When then? it comes to oil, it is actually paradoxically much easier for Europe to do it because there is much easier way to diversify it. When it comes to Polish government and Polish economy, we started these steps a couple of years ago already. We are able to do it in one day, so to speak. We, we are able to do it and we are actually considering very strongly mm -hmm. to start our national action if, if, if the EU does not want to agree on this. We are considering to do it still in March. We will be considering this in the coming days and probably announcing what do we want to do. Also hoping that the rest will follow because we need to do it very quickly. If we are looking at how Russia economy looks like now, Russian economy has uh, received a lot of a uh, lot of punches, so to say, because of of the SWIFT system of various sanctions. This is very badly damaging the economy. People are actually suffering, struggling to buy basic products. But Putin doesn't care about this. He only cares about money that he gets to finance the army. And he gets this money from oil, from gas, mostly from do those two resources, also from coal in some, in some smaller fraction. So if we are able to cut him off this money now, he will have to end this war. Otherwise, he can continue. So when do you think, because this is a very crucial question, as you said, you're talking with your European counterparts these days, when do you think Europe could get off of Russian oil as well? Even quicker than then from the Russian gas, because uh, oil and all the facilities so before that are the there, end of the year. even countries that are still dependent on Russian oil, Germany is yet another example also in this, in this area, they can do it much quicker. They can get supplies from other sources. We but are wait, talking Mr. Jablonski, that's always the question. Where can Europe get the extra capacity from? The world is quite tight when it comes to production, isn't it? When it comes to gas, it's, it's more difficult, we agree. But when it comes to oil, there are other suppliers. Obviously, this requires political commitment, but there are possibilities. There, there are options to increase output, especially in the Gulf region. This is what President Zelensky has been advocating for. And uh, we will also be talking to our partners here, to our partners in other parts of the world, to increase it. because. With oil, it is actually much easier. There are, there are much more suppliers than when it comes to gas. There is much less um, requiring uh, technology. Uh, there are less requirements to be met when it comes to shipping. So it is easier, and paradoxically, this is much more important and would be much more damaging for Russian economy. Let's talk a little bit about the Middle East, since you're not only Poland's deputy foreign minister, you also specialize in the MENA region. What would you like to see from this part of the world? Are you asking for more oil and gas? I imagine that's the case. And what kind of response do you feel you're getting? Are you getting cooperation? We certainly understand that uh, the position of countries in the, in the Middle East uh, is uh, quite peculiar, that there is also a uh, presence of Russia and some Russian allies here that does not allow for uh, immediate decision to uh, be on one side and completely against Russia. We understand that this is much complex. At the same time, this is a big opportunity to display un unity and uh, support for the values that I believe both Europe and majority of the countries in the Gulf hold dear, that we believe in territorial integrity, we believe in the sovereignty of nations, in the rights for, for the nations to decide of their own future, in the necessity to preserve peace. Right now, perhaps more than ever in history, Europe needs countries in the Gulf to preserve global peace. This is a huge opportunity to build long-standing strategic partnership 
between the Gulf, between Arab countries and Europe. It's not just about, it's not just about uh, exports of energy. It's obviously very important. It's the cornerstone of our economies. We need to work much more on that. But actually, perhaps even more, the political commitment to be on the same side. If we see that there is aggressor and there is a victim, there shouldn't be any ambiguity who to support. Let's talk a little bit about refugees. Poland has accepted another around 2 million refugees from Ukraine since the war began. Do you concede, though, what a lot of human rights groups or organizations have documented, that Poland did not extend the same legal process, asylum process, to refugees and migrants who came to Poland's border from the Middle East or predominantly Muslim countries? I might mention a report of December 20th, 2021 by Amnesty International, International Human Rights Group, that documented the case of a group of 75 Syrians, Iraqis and other nationalities, who they say Polish authorities pushed them back after they reached the border, some of whom had already entered Polish territory without processing their asylum claims. And they documented cases of Polish forces pepper spraying families, even children, pushing adults into rivers, beating people with batons. Do you concede that was wrong? I have to say that these reports are false, unfortunately. I know that there so were Amnesty reports. is wrong? Amnesty is wrong. I'm sorry to say this. Amnesty repeats, and um, it hurts me to say this because I used to respect Amnesty very much, but at times, unfortunately, they have been repeating false Belarusian and Russian propaganda. It is a very important distinction between what's happening now and what was happening over the course of summer and autumn last year. The people that are fleeing to Poland right now, over 2.2 million already, these are people that are running away from Vladimir Putin. Back in the autumn, in the summer 2021, those were people that Putin, together with Lukashenko, brought on our border. These people were not running away from war in Belarus. They were brought there by Belarusian forces, by Belarusian government, organized in groups, and they were pushed by Belarusian forces to our borders. This was something entirely different. This was an attempt at destabilize not just Poland, but also other EU countries. We have been always very open. If somebody is running away from war, is running away from persecution, this is something which we are always open to. We are accepting refugees, and not just of Ukrainian nationalities. We've accepted uh, refugees of 160 nationalities and ethnicities over the course of the last six weeks. But what happened then, these people were not running away from war in Belarus. There was no war in Belarus at the time. Belarus was a safe country. They had no legal grounds to be considered refugees. They were trying to, be, to, to get there, but they were, this was an organized attempt. This was actually a tool of hybrid warfare. But then you're saying not only amnesty is wrong when it says, quote, Poland is in clear violation of international law and standards, including the violation of the prohibition of torture and other ill treatment, but also groups like Human Rights Watch, which said in its report of November 2021, when they documented similar cases of people from the Middle East being pushed back by Polish officials, they said Polish authorities need to, quote, end summary expulsions, quote, stop all the abuses, including violence and theft. They're also wrong. You feel no obligation that if someone comes to your border, even if they've been pushed by Belarus, but 
you can see they're coming from war-torn countries like Syria. You don't feel they're under any obligation to even process individually their asylum claims and see who needs or not? International law is very, very clear on this. They should be processed in the first safe country. And in this case, Belarus was the country where they should be processed if they would be running away from war. Actually, most of them were not coming from Syria. They were coming from northern Iraq. There is no war in northern Iraq. I understand that conditions of living in northern Iraq are far from ideal, to say it very moderately. Uh, but look, if we would agree that everyone that comes to any border has the right to be accepted, then we would have to uh, liquidate all borders. There would be no border security at all. We cannot allow this. We have, quite, we, we have installed quite a simple procedure. We had border guards across our border not allowing people to enter. Obviously, there is no, nothing uh, like 100% uh, sealed borders, so some people managed to enter our territories. If somebody entered our territory, if they made an application for asylum, they were processed in accordance but with the law. This is, this is entirely false. This is these, exactly these alleged what? Please allow, allow me to finish. These alleged pushbacks are referred to a situation where people were detained at attempting to cross the border. Immediately, obviously, this is the duty of the border guards, not to allow people to cross illegally. What should they do? They should allow them to, to get inside. There, there would be no place for border guards in should this case. Should they pepper spray children? And they were people? pepper spraying people that were attacking our, our border guards, our police. There are videos of this. They were not pepper spraying nobody who wasn't attacking them. There are videos of these groups of migrants. They were actually not women and children. They were young men attacking, they were equipped with some tools by Belarusian forces, they were throwing stones, they were, they were cutting trees to use as, as, as tools to attack our border guards. There are videos of this. Our border guards were not attacking nobody without um, the need to defend themselves. Why do you think your understanding of international law is so different from Amnesty International, from Human Rights Watch, from even the European Court of Justice in its 2020 ruling re rejected Poland's argument? that it can reject refugee quotas based on internal security. Why do you think you understand? They seem to have a different understanding of international law, that if somebody makes it to your territory, you have to at least process their asylum claims. Are you saying they're all wrong, including the European Court of Justice? Our understanding of the international law is displayed every day on the border with Ukraine. For over a month now, everybody that comes to our border of Ukrainian nationality of, or of 160 other nationalities is admitted, is accepted, is given shelter, food. We're providing everything we can. We've actually passed the law that allows refugees to get access to healthcare, education, to be part of the fabric of the Polish society. This is the approach that we have towards refugees that are running away from war. But the regulations of international law can sometimes be abused. This was the case that we were dealing with in autumn last year, that there were some people pretending to be refugees. They were not running away from war. There was no war in so Belarus. Ultimately, we're saying, sir, is all these organizations and the European Court of Justice and Amnesty and Human Rights Watch are all wrong. For I'm viewers, help I us to understand as a viewer listening to this, how, how can they make sense I'm, of I that? think I am quite clear. If somebody runs away from war, they are refugees. Well, the if somebody does not run away from war, if somebody wants to cross the border illegally, they're not refugees. There was no war in Belarus. I can't be more clear about this. Has it got anything to do with what Poland's Minister of Justice, Zbigniew Zobro, was quoted as telling Polish state broadcaster TVP on April the 5th, 2020? 
when he said, quote, Poland was right not to accept refugees. We defended our sovereignty against the foreign culture of Islam. Was that a right statement to make? To, is it right to reject somebody based on their religion? I don't actually know this quote. I don't remember if this was an actual quote. I think this is, this is entirely wrong. We have nothing against Islam, against peaceful coexistence of various religions. We actually have our very small, but very historically enshrined in our tradition, very small minority of Islamic people in Poland, in the eastern, actually very close to, 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 the, to our eastern border. So this is also even not very uh, significant, but it's also part of our history, of our culture. And we have always been a very embracing culture towards every, every nation, every ethnicity, every religion. This, was, this is a part of our identity. If somebody said this, this was entirely wrong. And a final question, do you feel at least any obligation to investigate some of these claims which these organizations have documented of people who claim they've been pepper sprayed after entering into Polish territory and being put into security vans that their kids were pepper sprayed when they spoke. Things like that. Do you we have investigated that actually. We have investigated. Why has that. no action been taken? Because because it wasn't it wasn't proven to be fact. They actually have been pepper sprayed. They have been tortured on the Belarusian side. This was actually confirmed that many of these cases were happening on the Belarusian side. Then, unfortunately, because of some. I don't know, it was there some, some ill will or just some misunderstandings. Some of these actions were attributed to what was happening on the Polish border. But let me very clear, let me repeat this. Our approach to international law, to human rights, is displayed every day on the border with Ukraine. We are accepting everyone with no prejudice towards ethnicity, religion or anything else. Paweł Jablonski, the Deputy Foreign Minister of Poland, thank you very much for talking to our visitors. Thank you for having me, thank you very much.